right. Oh, it's good to sing about Jesus, isn't it? He's incredible. We could, we could have stopped church after Matt shared all that good stuff. I was fired up. I was ready to jump up. Let's go. The demon demoralizer. Amen. Chain breaker, sin crusher. I was like, yeah, man, that's good stuff, man. Seriously, that, that really inspired me. I was really grateful for that. And we are, we are going to continue our series that we, uh, we've called Fixing Our Eyes on Jesus. And uh, we really want to take that time to look at different aspects of, of Jesus. And if you're visiting with us, we are really encouraged you're here. We love it when neighbors or folks we just kind of meet at the grocery store uh, decide to come and worship with us. We just, we hope you feel like a guest in our home. We really do. Uh, we don't consider you visitors. We, we consider you guests in our home. And, and we, we love Jesus. I mean, we just got to be real. Uh, that's who, that's why we're here. He's amazing. He's touched our hearts. He's transformed us and, and turned us from a, the lives that we were living, uh, lives that really riddled with shame and sin and powerlessness. And uh, it's amazing what, what Jesus has done for us. We love him. We lift him up as the Lord of all. Uh, and, and that's why we're here. Yeah, we just want to put it out there for you. And uh, we're grateful that you've come, you know, to, to worship with us. And, and this morning, uh, the, the title I've been given is, is Jesus the Friend of Sinners. So amen to that. Because each one of us, every one of us in this room is a sinner, right? Every single one of us. So Jesus the Friend of Sinners is really the, the, the topic, the title for the message. And, and before I kind of jump into kind of our main text this morning, uh, I wanted to look at a passage that to me, it's one of those passages I read and I just go, how is that possible? And it's not a miracle. It's not one of those ooh and ah kind of passages. But when I was trying to think about Jesus, friend of sinners, I just, this, this, this scripture just kept pinging around in my head because I've thought about it often and it just made me wonder, the type of person that Jesus was. And uh, in Matthew 13, again, if you were reading your Bible, you'd probably run right past it. Because it's not, I don't think it's trying to make too huge of a point, but it just has always amazed me. But in Matthew 13, uh, beginning in verse 54, it says, Coming to his hometown, Jesus began teaching the people in their synagogue. And they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked. I mean, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. And you got, you got to think about this. The Alpha and Omega, firstborn over all creation, author and perfecter of our faith, the exact representation of God in that small little bitty town. You know how small towns are. You can't, you, you can't sneeze without somebody knowing. Right? Small town living. Here's God in the flesh. Been there his whole life, about 30 years, decides to come back and, and preach. And they go, 
Jesus was spiritual? Wow. Who knew? To me, I just go, how is that possible? I mean, how, do you, how does some God not just slip out a little bit at some point during his life in that small town? But there was something about Jesus that even though he was righteousness incarnate, he wasn't self-righteous. Even though he's like, like Lord of all, he, he didn't like lord things over everybody. Somehow, some way, this man, who's God, fully God, fully man, that whole thing, how is it that he could live among people so closely and they just go, I, I didn't even realize the guy was spiritual. And to me, that there's something in that that helps me understand how Jesus could be a friend of sinners. There, there's something in the way he carried himself, something in the way that he went to the synagogue as a kid. I mean, surely this whole scene could have gone down a lot different if Jesus were a different type of person, right? I mean, if he came back and somebody said, oh, Jesus is coming back. Oh, Jesus, great. I bet you he can't wait to go to the synagogue and preach. I mean, he was always raising his hand in kingdom kids, always had the right answer, always knew the right scripture, quoting it all the time. Oh, now that he's a big Mr. Smarty Pants coming back to town, wants to show off all his knowledge. He always was running his mouth about how spiritual he was, always talking about how the rabbi didn't know what he was talking about. I mean, it could have gone down like that. We all know people like that, don't we? who love just to be the smartest person in the room, and they want you to know that they are the smartest person in the room. And they're going to spout off all the facts and all the cool this and that so you know how smart they really are. We all know people like that, and some of us are people like that. That's just the truth. That's just the way it is. You pick your little area of life that you feel like you're really good at, and you go into a room, and you want people to know. You want to impress people. But what was it about Jesus? The word in the flesh, somehow, people just thought, wow, Jesus, he had a lot of wisdom. I think we can learn from that. I think we can learn from that. And I think there's something to learn, but there's also something that we have to be careful about when it comes to imitating Jesus' personality. Because it can be taken another direction, which I don't think is helpful either. And so let's pray for God to really use this time this morning as we study a little bit about Jesus, the friend of sinners. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we want to humble ourselves this morning. We want to come with our minds clear. We want to be receptive to what you may be trying to teach us, Father. We know that you have brought us here this morning. You, in your wisdom, allowed us to wake up this morning to make it here. The word is open, Father. We, we pray that as humans, as those you have created, that we will surrender ourselves to you and to your will. And allow these passages about Jesus to not uh, entertain us or just inform us, but uh, Father, we do pray for a deep inner transformation whenever we come together like this. And uh, Father, we pray that you can plant the seeds or water the seeds that have already been planted. Whatever 
needs to happen so that we can have a closer walk with you, Father. We want to imitate Jesus. We want to learn how did he befriend people who were not living the standard that really he set. How did he make them feel? What did he ask of them? And how can we do the same thing, Father, and be as effective? God, help us to not come in here with something to prove. God, help us to see ourselves as sinners. All of us are, Lord. Help us to have the right perspective so that we can get the most out of this morning. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus, a friend of sinners. We're going to look at a a moment in Scripture where Jesus, uh, he uh, finds a sinner. And uh, it's in Luke. Luke chapter 5. We'll go there. And uh, we had a guest speaker in town last week, and he stole my Scripture. So he's a sinner, but I love him. I'm his friend. (laughs) He was going to do another topic and went all up into my topic. Amen. But he took it from Matthew, so I'm going to just use Luke. So eh, here we go. Amen. So you can't say, well, we read that last week. No, we didn't. We're reading a different version. Amen. Luke chapter 5. And beginning in verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up. He left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see, I appreciate last week when Robert shared about Levi. He kind of painted the picture of, you know, Levi, great, great Jewish name, you know, and probably grew up just like other Jewish kids and had a, probably a typical Jewish upbringing and taught the Torah and taught the ways uh, really to follow God. But it, it seems like at some point he, he took another turn in his life, decided to turn his back on his faith and his people. And uh, perhaps it was uh, greed, but... His life definitely was characterized by really betraying his own people and then by working for the Romans and then greed by even getting rich off of his own people. Uh, Not a person that was well-liked. But here's Jesus, and he he walks up to him, and, and, and he says, follow me. And when we read that, sometimes we just go, yeah, yeah, I know. But we have to understand that in this context to follow a a rabbi, a a teacher, it didn't just mean to show up where he taught. To follow really meant something deeper. It's not just punching in the clock. Yeah, I know this guy. Whatever he teaches you, I'll follow. No, it was a deep heart to imitate, to to entrust one's life to someone, uh, to to really fellowship in in their joys and their sufferings. I mean, for Jesus to say, Follow me. It wasn't just, again, it's not just, yeah, just become a follower on Twitter kind of thing. You know what I mean? It's more like, hey, let's do life together. I'm going to impart everything I can to you. 
but I, but I want you to really give everything you got to me. You, you, you know, th- this is an all-in moment right here. This isn't just a, a casual, and it's, it's so concise, the wording, the, the, the culture's different. We don't get it, but this was very serious to have a rabbi call you to follow him. Now, it was very unusual for a rabbi to call a tax collector to follow him. Someone even of, of that profession, that age. But what, what, what made him stand up? What made Levi stand up, leave that lucrative business to go and, 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 and give his life over to Jesus, to identify with Jesus that deeply? What was it? Because the, the words right here, it, it doesn't really tell us. But again, I think there's something about Jesus' interaction with people. There was something about the guy that he could, I think he could reach into people's hearts, not with some kind of superhero manipulation, but there was something about Jesus where he would draw people in and, 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 and they would be willing really willing to give their lives to him. Something in Jesus made Levi see a new vision for his life. And he got up and he left and followed Jesus. And he didn't stop there. What does the Bible say? He said, I'm going to throw a party. And he threw a party and the Bible says it was for Jesus. And, uh, you know, isn't that great when you Man, when you, when you taste that, that, that friendship of Jesus, when you realize who he is and he touches your life, man, you, you want it. You just, you're just grateful. You, you're grateful. You know, Levi was grateful. Yeah, I mean, he's throwing, throwing a party. Now, he's a tax collector, so he's hanging out with people he hung out with, which could have been awkward. Hey, what's up, man? Joseph, what's going on? Hey, man, you want to come to my house? Yeah. Oh, you having a party? Yeah, come on over. Sweet. What should I bring? Don't worry about it. I got it covered. I got it all covered. Cool. Why are you throwing a party? Oh, it's for Jesus. Jesus. Isn't that the preacher dude? I mean, yeah. Yeah, let me tell you about, let me tell you about my life right now. Let me tell you about, let me tell you about what, it, what, what Jesus has done for me. And those moments, <laughs> they are precious. And he went out and bought all the stuff that's needed. Throw a, Bible says a great banquet. Large crowd of tax collectors. I mean, this is just, wow, this is a party. But some folks weren't fired up about what was going on. And uh, if you're new to the Bible, you, you see a word like Pharisees, and you don't even know what, what in the world does that mean. Sometimes we come to church so much, we just assume everybody knows what we know. Some folks in here have never heard the word Pharisee, and it doesn't make sense. And, and to, to simplify, the Pharisees were a religious group uh, based on the, the, the Hebrew scriptures. And that word Pharisee, some, some people really believe it kind of means separated, you know. And, and so the Pharisees were really known for their ability to really follow all the aspects of Jewish law to a T. All the minutiae, they memorized it, and then they called everybody to live it. And they, they had that separatist kind of mindset. And that's what they were known for. Uh, they were known to really like positions of high authority. Uh, they had a high concern for kind of outward recognition and honor. These are the things that we pick up on in the scriptures. And at one point, Jesus says, you know, that they somehow 
miss the weightier matters of the law, like mercy, justice, faithfulness. They struggled with those things. But man, they could figure out how to follow the minutia of the law. And so that's who the Pharisees were known as, in a nutshell, kind of a quick Cliffsnose version. And so they saw what was going on here. And they look at Jesus, who is supposedly supposed to be this spiritual man, spending all this time with these people who were not doing what they should be doing with their lives. And they use a word, tax collectors and sinners. And what is a sinner in the Bible? A sinner is simply one who has missed the mark. That is the technical definition of sinner, a person who's missed the mark. Well, who's mark? (laughs) That's the issue, right? It's an act of disobedience or transgression to God's ways or God's law. Someone who's not willing to conform to the scriptures and to God's law. That is who a sinner is. God has made the standard. The sinner is the one that misses the mark. They don't live up to it. They fail. They don't meet the obligations. But what is this question? Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? What is behind that question? And I think it goes back to what Pharisee kind of means, separate. It's almost like the Pharisees' world. There are people that live up to the standard and people that don't. And you need to quarantine yourself away from those people that don't. you got to isolate yourself. And any self-respecting person that is really trying to follow God will stay away from those bad people, those sinners, who keep missing the mark. They need to be avoided, no interaction, stay away from them. In fact, they need to be told that they are not following to the standard. And they need to be given an example so that they can quickly follow. And we are that example. We set ourselves apart to be that example. We will not interact with you until you conform to what we're doing. And that was kind of the way they constructed what a really spiritual life was. But you see, you notice how the Pharisees, they didn't ask Jesus the question. They asked his disciples. Why is that? Hmm, you can ask yourself that. Hmm, did they lack the courage? (laughs) Because there might be something about Jesus who's a friend of sinners, but I think there's something about Jesus. Don't mess with Jesus. I think Jesus knows how to deal with situations. So he, these Pharisees asked his disciples, but Jesus decided to answer directly. You know, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. You see, the Pharisees thought they were healthy, right? Why did they think they were healthy? Because they felt like they were following the standard. They, they, they felt they followed the rules better than everybody else. And so since they, that was the standard, they, were, they felt they were meeting it, they're good. They're healthy. I don't, need, I don't need any help. And I think Jesus calls them out. You know, you guys don't think you need any help. You think you're better than others. But the problem is this. There's only one righteous person ever lived. You know what I'm saying? There's only one righteous person. What does righteous mean? Righteous means someone that actually conforms to what God's word says without failing. That's true righteousness. When you can follow God and say, I've never transgressed his, his law, never broken, never sinned, that's, that's a truly righteous person. Okay, there's only been one of those. And not one of these Pharisees was. But they didn't see it because they had created a standard that was really not of God. It was not, some of it was of God, but they had added some of their own, if you know what I mean. 
The problem with this is it messes you up when you view the world this way. Other people are sinners. you got to avoid them. They don't follow the standard like you do. You tend to look down on people like that. And what ends up happening is that it deceives you. You get a false understanding of who you really are. And you go around thinking you're healthy really when you're sick. But you also what it does is it really crushes other people too. It's really hurtful to other people. People who really might be trying to find God and trying to know who God is. But it's the so-called healthy people, the people that have created a standard that they feel like they themselves are following. Those are the folks that can often crush the hearts of people really, truly trying to seek and follow. And this is what's discouraging, you know, it's when you, when you, you don't, I don't want to be a part of a congregation where people are like that. Right? I want us to all acknowledge that we all need the doctor. Amen? Okay? We may, we may have been baptized into Christ and had our sins washed away, and we should say amen. But last time I checked, we still get dirty feet living in this crazy world. We still sin. We still miss the mark pretty much on a daily basis. Right? And so I think we've got to figure out how to cultivate a way to say, yeah, you know what? Jesus has done something to really take care of my life. But you know what? I've messed up in my life too. And I know how it feels. And we can't quarantine ourselves away from people we call sinners. we got to figure out how to engage with people, right? You know what? Some of us have been in the church so long we don't have any non-Christian friends. If we were to throw a banquet for Jesus, it'd just be like midweek. You know what I mean? It'd just be, I mean, the same folks, you know, because we just, and, and some of it is we, we're really trying to have great relationships in the family of God. Amen. But sometimes we don't realize that's all the people we really interact with. We don't engage with people who are, maybe they're not even, they don't even know what the standard is. They don't even know Jesus. They're just living life. But we were too at one point. And I think we should look, take a look at what Levi does. Throws that banquet for all his friends. And, and guess what? They actually showed up. Right? And the sad thing is some of us, we, we might know people that don't go to church. But they might not show up because we haven't really invested in them. And they don't feel that connection from us. And I think there's something about Jesus that we can learn. But the, you know what I also appreciate about Jesus here is that he didn't just say, you know what, I've come uh, to call not the righteous but sinners to be my friends. He didn't say that, right? He said, I've called sinners to repentance, okay, repentance. A lot of us want to call sinners just to relate to them. We want to be relatable, right, and that's it, and we stop there. As if that's the goal. That's not the goal. Relating is good. That's great, but that can't be the goal. And I think some of us, unfortunately, that is the goal. But if we're going to be like Jesus, we need to be willing to relate, but also say, look, the standard is not one that I've created. It's really God's, and it's awesome. And you just need to turn away from what you're doing and repent and follow the standard. And that's where true joy is. We got to learn how to call people to repent like Jesus did. Jesus was awesome. He was a friend of sinners, knew how to relate to people, but he also knew how to call people to repent. That's a word, and that's another Bible word. Ooh, theological word. Some people say, what does that mean? I've heard it said, but I don't actually, whenever I hear it said, I really don't like it. 
right? Repent. That's just not usually a word that inspires, yes, that's what I want to do. But repentance, what does it mean? It's a change of mind, a change of thinking, a change of behavior. A big theological word, change your disposition to God, right? I read this definition and I liked it. I'll share it with you. To repent is to undergo a moral reorientation of the soul. I like that. A moral reorientation of the soul in which one acknowledges the error of his ways and turns toward the divinely prescribed way of truth and righteousness. That's repentance. That's what it is. It's a moral reorientation of the soul. You know, it's, it's going from a mistrust and unbelief in, into a reliance upon God, totally trusting him and what he's done for us in Christ And even though repentance can include feelings of contrition and sorrow, repentance is more tied to the heart and the mind. It's not just tied to your emotions, which are... (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Repentance is, is heart and mind. That's more where that reorientation is than just your feelings. Oh, I feel bad. I'll never do that again. Next week, doing the same thing. That's not repentance. That's not repentance. Jesus didn't call people to that. Feel real sorry about what you've done, but do it again next week. That's not what Jesus called people to. He called people to repentance. You know, one of the great scriptures that kind of, I feel like merges this concept of repentance and tax collector um, is found in Luke 18, but man, sometimes you just like to see things. And I don't know if this is how it went down, but I don't know. I've always liked this video. I show it like once every few years, but it does it for me if it works, hopefully. I don't know. We'll see if it works. If not, I'll keep preaching. Amen. There we go. Our own people working for Rome. These people make me sick. Collaborators, let's move on. They're stinking vermin. You should keep your distance from Two men. Went to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee. And the other one. A tax collector. The Pharisee prayed. God. I thank you that I'm not like other men. Thieves. Adulterers. Or this tax collector. 
didn't even look up to heaven. He said, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. God bless the tax collector. Not the Pharisee. Anyone who praises himself for be humbled. And anyone who humbles himself will be praised. Matthew, come. to follow him. One has to wonder of the sins committed by his other followers. Let's turn to Matthew's gospel. That, that's always moving to me. There's something about Jesus, I'm telling you. Matthew chapter 11. I don't know how to live exactly like Jesus did. Exactly. I don't know how to make somebody feel completely at peace and accepted by me. And at the same time, if they're involved in stuff that I don't think is righteous or scriptures say is wrong, to, to somehow speak out against that. I don't know the perfect way to do that all the time. And I think you struggle with the same thing. But, but I need to make it very clear what I'm saying to you today. Is that Jesus figured out how to interact with people. Even while they were involved in bad stuff. He still figured out a way to intersect his life into theirs. And not just help them feel comfortable only. But call them to repentance. That's the example of Jesus. He called people to turn away from their lives of sin. As he flowed from his heart to theirs, love and acceptance. And some of us in this room, we absolutely refuse to call people to, to repentance. And we've got our own reasoning. We, somehow we've equated calling one another to repentance as being harsh or unloving. As if that's unloving. But if we call ourselves imitators of Christ, how can we read what he said? I have not come here to call sinners just to be my friends. I've called them to repentance. Why is repentance such a bad word? How can you be a true friend to somebody if when they're involved in deeply sinful behavior, all you do is you want to get with them and just relate with them and let them know that you understand? 
need people to understand. I can go get that at Starbucks. I know people at Starbucks. I walk in, hey, Jeff, hey, what's up? If I want somebody to relate, I can sit down with those dudes. Hey, man, I really, you know what? I was really harsh with my kid. Me too, man. I ready to throw my kid out the car. Yeah, man. Right, we could have a conversation like that. And it might make them feel great if I, if I just left it at that. Wow, we really treat our kids harshly. Isn't that great? We're great dad. We're terrible dad. Oh, we're terrible. All right, man, nice to see you. Yeah, it's good seeing you, man. You know, but what about, yeah, man, I, I spoke really harshly to my kid. And I've done that too, man. It, don't you feel bad when you do it? Yes. So how are you going to fix that thing? What are you going to do about it? I don't know. I'm not doing well, dude. I, when was the last time you read your Bible, man? Prayed, thought, just, I don't know. It's been a while. Oh, man, come on. Let's go. Let's, right now, let's go. Let's, just, let's, let's pray. I need that. I need that. You need that. And we need to agree that if we're going to be like Jesus, we got to help ourselves in this room and a lost world understand that repentance is not a four-letter word, if you know what I'm saying. Okay? So, so we have got to figure that out. Now, how do you figure out the balance? Don't know, but I think God knows. I'm going to give it a try out of Matthew 11. Because to me, Matthew 11 is an awesome script passage. I don't have time to read the whole thing, but I'll try to give you like a quick synopsis. <laughs> but in Matthew 11, Jesus is actually, he starts out by talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a radical preacher. Okay, we're talking radical. This dude wore radical clothes. His style was not, let's, he didn't have a gentle style. Okay, he was one of those fastball straight down the middle. Hey, you're in sin. The axe is at the root of the tree. You better hurry up because it's going to be chopped down. You better get figured this thing out. That was John the Baptist, right? He wasn't preaching in nice air-conditioned, you know, palaces. He was in the desert. You want to come out to hear John the Baptist preach? You're going to go out into the hot desert, and and the message is going to be hotter than the sun, if you know what I'm saying. That's John the Baptist. But he was sent from God. And he was preaching from God's word, and he was trying to prepare the way for Jesus. He was trying to wake people up from years, centuries, really, of of spiritual doldrums, and and, and just trying to wake them up, a spiritual defibrillator. You know, Jesus is is coming. There's one coming after me, I'm telling you. You got to repent. You got to turn around. And and he preached it. He preached it hard. You know, and Jesus kind of makes a, he makes a kind of a comment like, man, what's up with you people? John the Baptist comes, he's preaching fire and brimstone, and you know what you say? That dude's crazy. That dude's demon-possessed. But I come, I come, people invite me to dinner, I say, sure. They give me a piece of pie, I eat a piece of pie. Go to the wedding, run out of wine, I hook you up. You know what I mean? That's who I, I do that. I hang out with people, I'm in it. I'm touching lepers. I'm in it to win it. And you, you know what you say about me? Oh, there's a drunkard. There's a glutton. He's a friend of sinners. So what is it with you people? What's going to make you change? What's going to make you happy? We play a fast song, and you won't get fast. We play a slow song, you don't. You, what do we do with you? 
He said, man, God's been trying to get people to repent for a long time. He said, you know what? In fact, if some of the messages, some of the things that I've been saying and doing were preached to places that don't even know anything about the scriptures, those people would have repented a long time ago. Jesus is kind of frustrated, it seems like, a little bit here. And he just says, God, you know what? All these people are so wise and they're so smart. But you know what, God? I'm glad that you've hidden what it really means to repent from them. Because of their pride, it's really what's been blinding them. So what's the solution? I don't know. I think we find it 28 maybe. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And to me, when I read this, when he says, come to me, I think it's similar to what he told Matthew that day, follow me. When we, ultimately, we got we to gotta make it to the heart of Jesus through the teachings of Jesus, through the scripture, we, through prayer. We, we've got to find Jesus. We've got to go to him. We've got to submit ourselves to him, willingly, give our lives to him, surrender to him. That, that's, the, that's the starting place. We, 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 we can't convert people to a, a commitment or a, a, a whatever, a movement, a building. No, it's to Jesus. We got to help people clearly fix their eyes on Jesus, see who he is. Come to me. Follow me. We got to get people to be with Jesus. Because some are weary and burdened in the church and out of the church, interestingly. People like Matthew, I think whoever acted that guy out, I think he I think Matthew was burdened, man. I mean, he's he's cut off from his family and he's making money off his people. I mean, in his heart hearts, he knows this ain't good. I mean, I think he's burdened by his inability to just to follow what he knows is right. And he's weary. Sin makes you weary. It gives you moments of, yes, this is great, but then it beats you up when no one's looking. That's the way it does. It kills you from the inside out. It makes you weary and burdened, even though it's all the time telling you, escape with me, escape with me. This will make you feel great, but it's not. It's killing you. What's the answer? We got to make it to Jesus. We got to get a person that's living that way. We got to get them to Jesus. But sometimes it happens in the church too. Because sometimes people in the church that are doing well spiritually can come across like, man, nothing's wrong. And then they get up and say, well, if you would just do what I do, then you would be awesome like me. And really good people in the church are really awesome pretty much all the time. And if you aren't as awesome as me all the time, then you got a problem. You need to be more like me. And sometimes it can come across that way. I'm not saying people try to be that way, but I do think it can come across that way. And even people in the church can get weary that that don't seem to, man, I cannot seem to string together three straight months of being spiritual sometimes. Man, what's what's wrong with me? I'm terrible. Sometimes that can happen in the church too. We can get weary. We can get burdened. Weary from stuff that we feel we do to ourselves and burdened by maybe the burdens other people put on our backs. At the end of the day, we got to make it to Jesus. He'll give us rest. Amen. Amen. 
Jesus gives. But then he says this, I will give you rest. And he doesn't say, you just don't need to do anything. All I want you to do is feel accepted. I just want you to feel comfortable. I just want you to know that your Lord and Savior relates with you. I just want you to know I relate. That's all you need to do. Do you feel better now that I relate? That's not what, the, that's not what he says, guys. I'll give you rest, and then right after that, take my yoke upon you. Wait a minute. That don't sound like rest to me. <laughs> right? That's our first. Whoa, what are you talking about yokes, man? Now, you know, a yoke, I mean, that wooden object, you know, put around your neck, yoke up to Jesus, and wherever Jesus goes, you're going to, right? It seems like work. That's what we need to do. We need to put ourselves in that yoke. Jesus and you. Where he goes, all right. That looks like a much better way. Jesus, okay, that's okay. I'm good. Okay. You're calling the shots. All right. <laughs> that's suffering. That's suffering. No, no, I don't do it. Yay. Yay. Wow, I survived. Amen. Yeah, it is all right. It's better with you, Jesus. I can't believe I got through that. You got through it because you yoked with me. Some of you are just trying to slide up from out of that yoke. Or some of you are just still staring at it like you don't want to get in it. You don't want to repent. You don't want to go in the direction of where Jesus is the one to take you. But that's where, that's where the joy is and the rest really is. That's where it is. It's not about just sitting around at home and doing nothing and putting your feet up. Put the yoke of Jesus on you. It's actually light compared to the what you would do with your own life. Just giving free reign. Compared to what you would do, the yoke that Jesus wants to put on with you, a lot less burden, a lot lighter, because he's right there with you. And don't forget all the things that Matt read. Don't you want to be yoked with all of that? You know what I'm saying? Instead of your best thinking. Yikes. Wow. I don't even think that's a Wow. And in one of the only times when Jesus kind of makes a comment really about himself. For I am gentle and humble in heart. I'm grateful for that. He doesn't have to be, I don't think. I mean, I think he could. Come across really gentle. How many of us think gentle means weak? So many of you do. So many of you do. Jesus chose, he could have said so many other words and descriptors in this moment. He used gentle. And some of us think that is just nothing but weak. It just just enables people. You're just enabling 
There's something about Jesus' gentleness and his humility. There's this, it's just like a combination of strength, but, but a gentle strength and a humility, just that, that deep surrender. That's what's in his heart. And I believe if we can get that in our hearts, then we'll have that effect on a lost world. That they will feel that gentleness from us. But because we're humble to God, we're going to call them to repentance just like, just like us. And we're going to do it in a way that I believe will be effective. And that changes the world. Gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus, yes, he was a friend of sinners. Just like all of us in this room. What I want you to take away today is I want you to take away maybe like three things. You with me? First thing is, remember, these are, these are more phrases or concepts to, to walk away with. Don't forget that we aren't here to convert people to ourselves. We need to help people come to Jesus and to follow Jesus. But keep remembering this. He does require a yoke in that there is a burden, but he carries the hardest part. So help people to, to follow Jesus, not just convert them to you. The other thing I want you to remember is rigid rule keeping doesn't necessarily make you righteous. In fact, it can make you arrogant. And you could actually be lost yourself because of your pride and not realize it. Some of you are sick, but you think you're healthy right now. Because you're not yoked up with Jesus. You're, you're, you maybe followed some rules, but that doesn't make you righteous. We need to be connected to the righteousness of Jesus. The last thing I want to leave you with is don't make it your goal just to make people feel comfortable and accepted. Make it your goal to help people get right with God, which includes repentance, which at some point needs to feel uncomfortable. And that's okay. And that's okay. So let's all take these things away. Let's stand up. I'm going to close out in a prayer, and we're going to sing a final song. <clears throat> let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you've given us your son, Jesus. What an example. I pray that we can follow him that we can come to him, we can put his yoke on and learn from him, that we can become gentle in our hearts like he is and humble like he is. Pray that we can call people, not just to friendship and help relate to people, I pray we can call people to repentance in a way that is inspiring. Father, I really pray for that. I pray we don't make it our goal just to help people feel comfortable, but we can help people be inspired to put that yoke on. But I pray we put it on ourselves. If we're members here in the congregation, I pray that we joyfully put that yoke on every day and learn from Jesus. What a friend. What a friend that he is. So encouraged by how he changes all our lives. And I pray that we will be willing to go out and share with more and more people this week about how incredible Jesus really is. 
Thank you for calling us a friend and not just separating yourself from us, God. So grateful for that. Pray we can do the same for a lost world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.